This is the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. Welcome back to the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. And we're your hosts, Caitlin Deal. And James Lee. And today we have a very special guest. His name is Christian Kuhn. He is the co-founding pastor of Urban Village Church, a multi-site church in Chicago, Illinois. Something cool about this church is that about 80% of the attending members are under the age of 40. Is that is that right, Christian? We did a study on this last year. The median age is 28. Well, that's that's our age, right? Yeah. Well, you're 28, right? Yeah. I'm, well, I, I'm 29, so. I just turned 29, actually. I just turned 29, yes. yeah. So so we're, we're your average uh, um, attending member. Here you go. So this is a really interesting Urban Village Church. We hear a lot of cool things coming out of there. But tell us kind of what was the process of getting that church started? How did it get started? A good friend of mine, Trey Hall, was also serving a church in, we're in the Northern Illinois Annual Conference. And so I was serving a suburban, Chicago suburban church. He was serving another church in the city. Uh, we went through a training, a two-year training that our conference was putting on for people who might be interested in starting new churches. I initially went through this training not necessarily thinking that I was a church planter. I think in my mind I had a vision of what a church planter was, somebody who was very extroverted, uh, very charismatic, and I'm a little more introverted. I think the joke was Trey was the extrovert and I was the introvert. And um, uh, but I thought the training itself would be helpful in my own ministry. Like I said, I was pastoring an established suburban church. But the more I went through the training, the more some of my entrepreneurial juices started flowing, which I didn't really know were there. And so the thought of starting something from scratch and implementing kind of the DNA of what I and then what turned out to be we wanted was very appealing. We also had a feeling like in Chicago anyway, that there were churches that uh, really believed in the robust uh, nature of the gospel, and, and it could change lives, and talked a lot about how Jesus could change lives, uh, but they weren't going to be fully inclusive, particularly around LGBT uh, folks. And then there were churches that were fully welcoming and inclusive, but sometimes were a little nervous about talking about Jesus. And so we felt like there could be and should be a church that could do both, while also being relevant one of our core values and having fun and doing small groups and all of those Wesleyan things. So uh, and also to be multi-site, Chicago is a city of neighborhoods, and so we didn't want to just plant ourselves in one spot and just expect everybody to come to us, but to have smaller faith communities throughout the city that would um, reflect the neighborhood and the people who live there. And um, so to be able to say, theologically, this is where we want to be, this is the population we want to reach, this is the kind of worship that we want to do, mm. all of those things became very appealing. I mean, certainly... Um, pastoring established churches is a, is a vibrant and needed ministry, and I did that for 10 plus years. Uh, those are always the challenge sometimes can be when you try, want to try something new, uh, it can take longer to do so. Right. But a new church, you can do it right from the beginning. Uh, and so that was very appealing. And then, as I noted, to do it with somebody else with whom you're on the same page was um, doubly appealing. One of the things that really stood out to me uh, was that you and Trey used community organizing practices uh, to start this church. And um, I remember hearing that you especially spent a lot of one-on-one time with key community leaders. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, Trey and I had gone through various kinds of community organizing training. uh, And one of the core, if not the core aspect of organizing is the one-on-one meeting. Uh, or the individual meeting. And uh, in fact, I was just, people sometimes will ask, like, what are good resources? And actually, um, 
in, from, in the New York area, Michael Geekin from the Industrial Areas Foundation wrote a little pamphlet uh, just called Effective Organizing for Congregational Renewal. It's very easy to get. And I was reviewing that again for our conversation today. And that reminded me of some of the really, I think, are important key aspects of what the one-on-one meeting. And that is to when you when you reach out to somebody, a community leader, somebody who lives in the neighborhood, whatever, you're acknowledging that they're worth listening to. Uh, that they have a story to tell, uh, that they have values and dreams and plans that are that are worth listening to and worth recognizing. The second thing is that uh, the time devoted to those one-on-one meetings is more important than any other activity you could do as a church leader. Uh, and then finally, when you continually do one-on-one meetings, that often will continually form uh, what your faith community and what your organization is all about so that it doesn't get stagnant. Uh, and for us, we, our goal was to have 25 contacts a week, uh, with people, different people, letting them know what we wanted to do and who we wanted to be. So having those, those one-on-one, some of whom were real, uh, acknowledged community leaders in the neighborhood and in the city, others were just people that we knew. So I made a list when I moved into the city, I lived in the suburbs and when I lived in, moved into the city, I just made a list. Who's, who's anybody I know who lives in Chicago, whether they had a faith community or not. Um, basically just to hear their stories and to hear why do you like living in Chicago? What are the things that inspire you? What are the things that make you angry? What keeps you up at night? Mm. It can also be something that brings you a lot of anxiety, like uh, my student loans are right. driving me crazy, or uh, I want, I'm not able to find a partner, a life partner, and that's keeping me up at night. So learning all of those things when you have all these meetings, and if you begin to hear the same thing over and over again, it's something to pay attention to. And you think, you know, I think we could either do a small group or a ministry because I'm hearing that people are really inspired by this or people are feeling very anxious about that. And that begins to formulate who you can be as a faith community. So for us, it was not only letting people know about this new church we were starting, but also it helped us to kind of see what's um, on the hearts and minds of the people of Chicago, particularly in the neighborhoods that we wanted to be a part of. That's really important. Do you think that's what kind of attracted young adults to come to the church? I think so. I think one of the things that we read and I read all the time about doing ministry with millennials is uh, more than anything else, they want authenticity. Uh, They they don't want you to be somebody that you're not. And so we've really tried hard to express that and to be vulnerable and to let people know, you know, we don't have it all worked out. We're still working on us ourselves while also um, having some organization and having our act together in some ways too. Uh, But I think having that authenticity and then sitting down with folks Um, especially for people who live in the city, we attract a lot of folks who are new to the city and they want to build relationships. They want to have friends. And so when you sit down with someone, especially if you're in a leadership position or if you're a pastor and you say, I'm really curious about your life. I really want to know what's on your mind. That's very attractive to people. And they're drawn to that. And, and often they'll say, I want to be part of a community that, that believes in that. Hmm. Awesome. So tell us, uh, what the process was like going from the one-on-one meetings that you were having till worshiping on Sundays. Yeah, I think the, the combination of summer of 09 is when we started kind of having the one-on-one meetings. And then that fall, we started to have a couple of small groups, both through word of mouth and again, through meetup.com and social media was just beginning to come uh, into, into formation at that time. So we started to put word out on various social media avenues. Uh, so, after we had two small groups and some one-on-ones, one thing that we were hearing was a lot of people were saying, what you were doing sounds great. Let me know when you start worshiping and I'll check you out. 
And we had heard at the time that it was key to delay worship as much as possible, because too often new churches will launch worship too soon. And then they, when they launch with, say, 50 people, it's hard to get much beyond 50 people. So to wait until you have a larger core of folks. But we kept hearing um, this constant refrain that when you worship, then we'll come check you out. Um, so we decided that fall that we may want to start worshiping sooner than we thought. So we had a couple of kind of what we called practice worship. So we had a Sunday night worship in an Episcopal church in November and then another one in December. And at the December service, it was, I think it was mid-December, but it was kind of a Christmas Eve type service. We had over a hundred people there. Wow, wow. And uh, we thought, I think we might be ready to go with worship. So we scrambled to a find a location. We knew we wanted to be in the South Loop neighborhood uh, and to find a worship leader and uh, everything else that you need to do to, to launch worship. So we found somebody uh, to be our worship leader. We found the space uh, and then put the word out. And we, uh, through United Methodist Communications, uh, got a grant and we had a lot of uh, ads on the trains, which oh, was wow, huge great. for us too. And um, trying to express our desire to be different. Um, it's, we've become kind of known. So on these ads, we would put things like, uh, we love Democrats and we love Republicans and we love gay people. We love straight people and we love Cub fans and we love Sox fans. Uh, you let people know that this is a different kind of church that isn't, uh, we're all this one type of individual. And that, that got a lot of attention too. And so a combination of all those things then led to us deciding to worship in March of 2010. Mm, Wonderful. So why is it so important for a uh, church leader or a pastor to be a community organizer? It is really, really tempting. And I know this in pastoring a couple of suburban churches, it is so, it's so tempting to be only concerned about the people who come through your doors on Sunday morning or to only spend time in your church office. Uh, it's, uh, it's easier to do that. I think sometimes it's what, you know, it's probably what you went to seminary for. And so to stretch yourself and to go outside of your church and reach strangers, is a little scary. And so, but I think it's vital for your community because when you're only spending time in your office or in your church, you know, your, your congregation very well, but you may not know your community as well. And so, um, so for example, when I was at my suburban church, um, I was challenged to do 10 one-on-ones in the community. And so one of the people I did one-on-one with was the, the community librarian. So I sat down with, with this individual and I asked, one of the things I asked him was, what are some books that people are checking out that, um, may be notable? And he said, you know, we've been having a lot of people ask for resources on, for parents, uh, how to parent through divorce. And I had no idea that that was a thing in our community. And so we took that like, wow, is that a need in our community that we aren't aware of? Can we create a group that focuses on that? So it's those kinds of conversations that uh, people should have and can have that gives you a much better sense of what's going on in your community so that you can have relevant worship and small groups and maybe do something outside of your church too. Wow. I never thought about asking the community librarian. So so these one-on-one meetings are with, with people that are not attending your church. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. It's so I, I, lot. There's, I mean, school principals and teachers are always great resources. I think I interviewed the um, uh, chief of police. Uh, I reached out to the assistant manager at the Barnes and Noble, who was very leery of why I wanted to talk to, <laughs> talk to her. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then I, 
the the owner of the local restaurant, people knew like he was one of the real leaders of the community, had a real wonderful gift of hospitality. So mm. it's those kinds of folks who don't come to your church. Uh, those are the people you really want to talk to to find out here's the real story of what's going on in your suburb or your city or your neighborhood mm. or whatever. Wow. What are some of your challenges that you faced? Was anybody kind of reluctant to talk to you or was kind of skeptical? Like, what, what is this guy doing? You know, or were they <laughs> yeah. like, this is great. Like, we love this. A lot of skepticism. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I think in for some, certainly a church professional or pastor has a lot of baggage. So you can do your best, whether you're calling them or sending them an email to, to let them know, I'm not trying to convert you. Uh, I just want to get <laughs> yeah, to that, know. That's, that should be the, the, su the subject line, right? I'm not right, going to exactly. convert you. I, yeah. I'm not. I'm not evil. Uh, and um, and some people still won't meet with you, which is fine. But um, I think one. So, for example, one of the things when we moved into the city, I used to work for a fraternity. Uh, the fraternity I was in in college, the national offices in Evanston, which is the suburb just north of Chicago. Hmm. So that's what brought me to the area, actually. So I worked for this fraternity for two and a half years. When we started Urban Village, I reached out to the folks I still knew at the fraternity and asked, can you send me the emails of every uh, alum who lives in the city between the years, uh, I can't remember what the range was, but the graduating years of like 85 to the present and just sent blind emails, individual emails to all these alums. I didn't know who they were. And I just said, hey, I'm starting this new church in Chicago. Um, uh, I just really want to know your take on the city. Do you like living here? What do you enjoy about it? Again, what what makes you, uh, um, what are some hangups that you have about it and so on? And I was surprised. I had about 20% uh, response rate of people said, yeah, I'll, I'll get together, uh, which is pretty good is, because again, I have no relationship with these individuals at all. Mm -hmm. But if you just paint it in a way, like I, I really want to know the city. I want to know the neighborhood. I'm, I'm genuinely curious about you. Uh, and with the caveat that I'm not going to slip you a tract in four ways why you should Like Chicago, you're very trusting of each other. I don't know if that would fly in New Jersey. And out of some of those, actually one of those, I, in fact, this is in the book, one of those one-on-ones I had uh, at that same Barnes & Noble where we had the, the failed first gathering, there was a guy who was in the same fraternity that I was. Uh, I went to Northwestern and uh, we met back in the book stacks because we couldn't find anywhere else to sit down. And I was hearing about his own life. His, he's the son of uh, Chinese immigrants. And um, he had gone to church as a child, uh, had kind of strayed away from it. And he was asking me about the church. And I said something in my mind, like something very benign, like, yeah, we just want this to be a place where people know that God loves them. Uh, and tears started coming down his eyes uh, that just something so simple that you, that you and I might take for granted had such power for him in that moment. And, um, and he started, when we launched worship, he started attending. And in fact, he, uh, he's a whiz at, uh, uh, technology. And so he built our first database. Uh, and so it was out of that one-on-one, -on -one, uh, which I didn't think anything would come of that, but you never know how the spirit's going to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Amen. Now I find it very interesting that you identify yourself as an introvert, but, um, when hearing about community organizing as a, as a, as a pastor who might be watching or listening to this podcast, I can almost hear an immediate, um, reaction to it saying, well, that's not me. Or as a pastor, I'm so busy taking care of the people who are in my church or doing one-on-ones yeah. with the people who are my members. Yeah. Where do I find the time? Is it necessary as a pastor to be reaching out to the community outside of my church? 
Yeah, a couple things. Well, around the introvert thing, I think um, sometimes I think one of the misconceptions about introverts is that they they dislike any kind of contact with with other with other people. And I think for introverts, uh, actually one on ones is something that they're very comfortable with. Um, it's sometimes in a larger group that there might be a little bit of anxiety or skepticism, like we're in your big room and you need to to glad hand other individuals. But one on ones should be, I think, for and I can't say this obviously for every introvert, but I think for a lot of introverts, that's a a more comfortable situation where it's just you and this other person and you can ask them questions. I think we all get tired of hearing about the decline of the main line, the decline of the United Methodist Church, but mm-hmm. we are in a time now where it, it is it is vital and uh, for church leaders to be out in their community. I mean, I realize you have people that you need to take care of and you have funerals that you have to officiate and nursing homes that you have to visit. All that's true, but if you don't carve out that time to to meet with the community leaders and community members, I just think you're missing out on such a vital way of getting to know your community and a vital way of doing outreach uh, in a new way too. Mm. I mean, the future of the church depends on it, and I really believe that. Well, uh, yeah, I think I think that's the answer. The future of the church depends on it. So. <laughs> Awesome. We have a send, uh, send conference on November 11th at Aldersgate United Methodist Church in East Brunswick. And you're going to be speaking on the workshop title like, about organizer, being an organizer. So for someone who is registering or thinking about registering, what can they expect at your workshop? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I'll be talking a lot about uh, community organizing and the benefit of, of doing that and the benefit of the one-on-one meeting and then how you take that and begin, once you begin to hear some things and then how you begin to use that to form perhaps uh, your own ministry or another ministry that you, you may want to take on. So I'll be talking about that and, and, and how you organize in that way. But along with my book, uh, I'll certainly be talking about what happens if the best laid plans go awry uh, Mm. and how do you respond when there is failure, not if, Mm. but when. Uh, And so one of the reasons I wrote the book was to to give folks uh, courage to try new things, because I think we're in a place in our society and in in the church anyway, where because we keep hearing about how... um, how things are going downhill and how there's little hope. I think people sometimes get frightened of trying new things because they don't want anything else to go wrong. Uh, and so I wrote the book to try to give people a little bit of um, inspiration and courage to try that new thing because failing is not the end of the world. Mm. Uh, we can learn from failure. Um, new things can come out of failure. Uh, and so, um, that's my hope for both talking about the, the benefit of organizing, but then also, when you try this new ministry or out of organizing, you try this new thing, uh, it may not work. Uh, and then how do you respond from there? And what, what thing might God be doing out of that failure too? Hmm. Yeah. So you started kind of answering the next question that I had, but (laughs) like you have this new book out failing boldly. Um, I find it so interesting because for many pastors, they look at urban village church and see that as an example of success, but you're really focusing on, uh, failing. Tell us more of how you were encouraged or inspired to write this book about failure. Yeah, I think about three years ago, uh, Path One, which is the kind of the church planting arm of the United Methodist Church, had gathered some people together, um, other church planters, to reflect on creating some resources, Wesleyan-rooted church planting resources. Mm-hmm. And I have a journalism background and had always thought about writing a book. And so when I was invited, I started thinking about, you know, what exactly is it that I want to write about? 
And the thing that struck me was whenever I would go to a congregational renewal kind of conference, mm-hmm. uh, I would often walk away from those feeling a little deflated because you would see the person on stage or on the big video screen and they would give you, here are the five steps you need to do to turn your church around. And I would look at them and think, and I'm doing those things. And why is my church not showing the rapid growth that the person on stage is doing? So I'd feel a little discouraged out of that. And I would want to know, hear more about the vulnerabilities and Certainly not everything has gone right for this thing that you're doing. So I I told the folks at Path One, I said, I would really love to write a book that's more vulnerable, that's more authentic, and talk about, um, yeah, some some things that we're doing at Urban Village seem to be working pretty well, but also we've made a lot of mistakes too. And so to give people, uh, again, an example of uh, trying things, them not always working, it's not the end of the world, uh, that we also, even though people have heard about Urban Village, we also have gone through real deep struggles, both for me personally and as a church too, and we've still been able to hang in there. Um, Urban Village is not that big of a church, really, to be honest. I mean, I think people, when they think about a successful church, they think thousands and thousands of people in worship. But, you know, each of our sites ranges from our smallest site worships about 45, 50, and our largest site worships about 130. And so, None of our sites is is huge. Um, I think hopefully we've had a big impact in other ways too. But um, I think it's important for churches like ours to also be in the discussion, not just so that we feel great about ourselves here at Urban Village, but so that others can say, you know what, I'm pastoring a church where we have 50 in worship, and it seems like all the conversation is about mega churches or larger churches. And so hopefully folks can look at us uh, and in what I've written and draw some kind of inspiration or encouragement uh, in their own ministry. If, if say, there's a pastor out there that listens to this podcast and is now inspired, okay, I'm going to go out reach out to my community, what would be some of the first steps that they should take in terms of uh, becoming a community organizer? Yeah, I would say it's, it's easy to, you can do Google uh, how to do a one-on-one meeting. Uh, and it's very easy to do that. Uh, and so, um, uh, and the book I told you about, it's like, you can get it for five bucks. Uh, effective, effective organizing for congregational renewal is a really helpful tool to use first. Set yourself uh, a goal. I'm going to do 10 community one-on-ones over say a three month period. Uh, and really, and maybe find someone to hold you accountable to that. Uh, and then begin to look in your community who are the folks who are seemingly, and some of them will be obvious, either an elected official or, um, like I noted before, a, a school principal. Some of them might not be so obvious, um, but you just know that they have a lot to say and they're important in the community. So um, I would say that's a really great place to start, and it's easy to do. Uh, and you will get some people won't want, won't want to talk to you, so you'll just have to, that'll be part of it too. Uh, so just know that going in. Um, but um, but that's a great way to start. So we're the Uncovered Dish, and we're Methodists, and we like to eat. So if you could have one piece of food or one type of food, um, no variations for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the rest of your life, what would that one food item be? I thought you were going to ask me what my favorite potluck dish was going to be. <laughs> uh, that's, the, that's the other Methodist podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, b- because I'm because I live in Chicago, I've got to say Chicago style pizza. Uh, that's the thing that from Lou Malnati's, uh pepperoni, onion, and green pepper. 
That's fine. I've been to Chicago. So I bring some with, with you. We come to. Oh yeah! Can you bring a freeze a couple and bring them? And, uh, freeze dry. And in November, you come by. We'll have a we'll have Will a that make a party. security. I don't know. <laughs> oh, true. We'll see. They're pretty, they're pretty dense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Uh, again, that was Pastor Christian Kuhn, the pastor at Urban Village Church in Chicago. Uh, he will be speaking at uh, at a workshop at the Send Conference on November 11th at Aldersgate United Methodist Church. You can register today at gnjumc.org. Also, Christian has a new book that came out, Failing Boldly. You can get it at bookstores. It's on Amazon. I just ordered mine, so it should be on the way. And you could also, I mean, Christian also has um, a podcast that's really, really cool and uh, and a blog as well at christiancoon.com. Correct. Yeah. Any anything? Any other plugs you want to do, Christian? No, I think I was going to plug the podcast, uh, but that's been really fun to, to talk to. My my hope has been to talk to folks in the religious worlds. So you, I think you noted I've, uh, I've interviewed Brian McLaren and Adam Hamilton, uh, but then some other folks that people may not be aware of. So one I just posted one the other day. He covers the Chicago Bulls for the Chicago Tribune. Oh wow! And so cool. uh, it was interesting to talk to him about his career in journalism and. What does it mean to see athletes and how they respond to failure? So uh, it's a mix of, of different kinds of folks. Yeah, hey. and, and I subscribed uh, just this morning, so uh, I'll, I'll make sure I listen to that one too. Awesome. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you in November. Yeah, thank you. Thank All right, you. take care. Have a good day. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you again for tuning in today's podcast. If there are any topics you'd like us to uncover or any comments for us, you can email them to podcast at gnjumc.org. We will be posting a new podcast every other Wednesday. So if you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes. We'll